A good leader will also recognize when their team, so to speak, is divided. Yes. Where there's conflict within the population that they are leading. It is clear that populations all around the world have started to divide into two major camps. The for and against, if you like. The dissenters and the conformers. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 151, PH Factor. Who's in charge? Who do you trust? Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. So here we are. We passed 150. This is 151 now. 151. We're into the second half of 300. Uh, yeah, and we're approaching 20,000 plays and downloads, so hopefully we'll get that before we complete our fourth year or thereabouts. And thank you to everyone who uploads, downloads, listens, and sends comments in. Yes. We appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So today, here we are with TSP 151, and uh, today we're going to be talking about who's in charge and who do you trust. Yeah. And begin this conversation by talking about leadership and what leadership is and what are the qualities that we look for in a leader. Right. I've been asking friends in the last week or so what they feel good, strong qualities are in a leader hmm. and getting some fairly typical answers, actually, including a good communicator. Yeah. Someone who's clear in their communications, understandable, etc. Someone who knows how to delegate authority. Yeah. Not just responsibility, but authority. Yes. Right? You've got this job. I'm going to trust that you're going to do it well. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be constantly checking to see and looking over your shoulder. In that case, I didn't give you the authority. I right. only gave you the responsibility. I'm giving you the authority to make the decision. Eliminate the micromanagement. Yeah. Know how to disseminate various jobs that need to be done. Yes, have faith in the people that you're working with and support them. Right. And I'm sure there's more. These are the main ones. Yeah. When I'm listening to someone and making a decision on how much I'm going to either trust them or follow them, I look for empathy and humility. Yeah, yeah. That's a big one, which all kind of comes back to relatability. Yes. Right? Can I relate to this person as someone like me? Yep. Member of the human race. Someone who is not putting themselves on a pedestal or coming across as arrogant, right. but someone that's kind of approachable in a way. And I think about Jakinda Ardern from New, Zealand. from New Zealand, who comes across that way, especially. Even occasionally Trudeau, believe it or not. I think when he was elected, compared to his opposition candidates, he seemed to come across as more just a, a person, one of us in a way. There are other examples of that. Yes, and you chose Trudeau. Of course, Trudeau right now is becoming a kind of controversial figure. Well, of uh, course, over the last mm -hmm. year, practically every politician on mm -hmm. the planet, mm -hmm. with the exception of Ardern, maybe, is really a target. Which actually is a good segue to what I wanted to say. Time has passed. Circumstances are different. And as a politician, you're in a battle that you can't win, really. That's right. There's such polarity in society now 
it's a no-win situation right now for leaders around the world. And we're thinking political leaders, but there's also medical leadership, mm -hmm. people, these health ministers who are advising their governments. That's a big responsibility there. And again, it's a no-win situation in a way, because the health ministers are speaking from a medical perspective on what they think is required. And then the government takes over and interprets that and then lays out these measures that either are in agreement primarily or can be opposite, in fact, to what the health professionals are saying to them. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's a very complicated, multi-layered existence now and very hard for leaders to actually lead. What would constitute an actual leader right now in this situation is a good question. Yes, it is. Right? So going back to communication needs to be clear and strong and not equivocal, which it often is. And we consistent. Get, consistent. We get mixed messages. People are going crazy because they just don't understand what they're supposed to do or not do, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. right? Ethics are important. The leader's ethics are critical now for trust purposes. Now, ethics are on the surface. But I would add to that, for example, what are the affiliations with that leader? If you learn that a particular leader has an agenda or is putting forward a message, yeah. and then you learn that the same person, the same leader, has affiliations or investments in said products or yeah. services, yeah. there's a conflict. There's a huge conflict. And the prime example that people are coming up with these days is our favorite hero slash target Mr. Fauci in the U.S., yes. who it's claimed that he owns stocks in various vaccine companies, etc. He was involved in the original Wuhan laboratory when right. the U.S. was collaborating with China mm -hmm. on these things. And so people who began with a great deal of trust in Dr. Fauci, that has diminished considerably over the yes. last year, right? Same thing with Bill Gates. Well, Bill Gates was a strange one because... Mm -hmm. To me, that came out of the blue. I had no idea the kinds of affiliations that he was involved with, etc., that form part of what people call conspiracy theories, etc. Yes, including his foundation. Right, the foundation. Mm -hmm. So that's murky territory in a way. We're here to discuss this subject. We're not here to point fingers or make allegations that we can't substantiate. We think it's very important to keep the doors open, which is, I think, one of the problems that we're encountering today. That's right. Is this closed door policy. And there's a certain irony in that because it's actually adding to the mistrust. Totally. And that's one of the issues people have had with leadership now is the sense that there is censorship from within the leadership to only give one particular message and not allow for discussion, debate, dissension, mm -hmm. uh, which is the healthy way to go as a leader is working with their people or their team. Right. You want discussion. You want to get all the points of view. Now, the other aspect of leadership is taking responsibility for your successes and for your failures. Mm -hmm. What we've seen with our local Ontario, Canada, provincial leader, Doug Ford, is that all along, from the beginning, he used words like, I'm taking my advice and my direction from the health table. I'm following the health table's directives. He constantly referred back to the health experts that surround him. Mm -hmm. Not once did he say, and this is what I think should happen and is going to happen. In a sense, he's given over the leadership to unelected medical officials, right. which is disturbing to me. There's something there which is really needs to be looked at. 
Which brings up another characteristics of so-called leaders, which is courage. Yeah. Courage and Sh conviction. Sure. And vision. Right. Seeing how we can move through an issue or a problem, an ending that actually makes sense and that is the best for the population. In the current situation all around the world, mm -hmm. you see the same thing. Mm -hmm. You see... Numbers are either going up or going down, measures are either being increased or decreased, but rarely a sense of we need to get to here and then we're going to be okay again. We don't have to worry about all of these restrictions. They don't seem to have a sense of an ending. Really disturbing to me. I've always thought of a leader as someone who takes charge, but it's not an egocentric charge. It's taking control of a situation for the benefit of those people that he's leading. So, for example, to incorporate hope in their message. At the same time, be honest. If a situation is serious, say that it's serious. Yeah. And progress from there, not by fear-mongering. Mm -hmm. You can tell someone that something is extremely serious yeah. and at the same time not paint a picture that is completely black, completely unable to come out of. So a leader should, in my opinion, instill calm in a situation. Yeah, think about uh, Winston Churchill and the way he addressed the British nation at the most perilous time of the war. He was strong in his delivery and his messages were inspirational. At the same time, there was a sense of calm that we will survive. We will get through this. We right. will prevail. And in a way, we don't hear that. We hear, as you say, fear-mongering. The example you used of Churchill, implicit in his message, though, as much as there was this positive, calm, and hopeful message being put forth, is also realistic in the sense that this is not going to be easy. We are going to lose men. Yes, yes. Uh, and this is something that really bothers me in the news in general today. They seem to have zero tolerance for any kind of negativity, which is part of the real world that we live in. People are going to get sick. Yes. People are going to die. Yes. There's nothing wrong with saying that we have lost 3 million people to COVID over the last year, but also understand that the world has lost 60 million people in the same time period. Exactly. Yeah. Perspective, in other words. So is 3 million a tremendous loss? Of course it is. Yeah. But it still only ranks as sixth, seventh, or eighth among the list of things that cause people to die. Right. So is it serious? Yes. Should it be taken seriously? Yes. Do we need to go into a complete panic mode and issue every single kind of warning as if all the other things no longer exist? The seven or eight things that are in front of it that are causing people to lose their lives or become deathly ill, yeah. we know are there. We know right. people have cancers. We know people are sick. We know people need help. But there's no more talk of it almost. Right. And the other aspect of good leadership is doing one's due diligence. So when COVID struck and became a pandemic or pandemic or was called a pandemic, mm -hmm. it was incumbent upon our leaders to rather than rush in and be reactive, to step back actually and do what's known as a cost benefit analysis or risk reward mm -hmm. analysis so that they were clear on the repercussions of the kinds of measures that being told by medical officials mm -hmm. should happen. And that was never done as far as I understand anywhere as far as I can figure. And, you know, a good leader would have done that, gone to the people like Churchill and said, we're facing into a real serious situation, folks. There's going to be pain. Mm -hmm. 
because we're going to need to bring these restrictions in and there's going to be these kinds of results, people will lose their livelihoods. We feel horrible about that, but we feel that overall the balance is in favor of bringing in these restrictions. That would have treated us like adults. So leaders who treat their teams or populations as intelligent adults right. are much more prone to be trusted and respected. Speaking for myself, for sure. Yeah. But then we may not be representative of large numbers of people. I'm a very strong believer in education over censorship. Right. That may not be a view that everybody holds. Right. To me, it's impossible to create a situation where you can censor absolutely everything with 100% certainty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's better to educate people and have people think for themselves and right. then be able to decipher information, assuming that the leadership or the people in charge are providing truthful information. Yeah, which goes to your favorite topic, personal responsibility. Yes. So where does the individual, not the leader, but the individual in society, what is their role in helping to bring a better world into being, especially through a time of emergency like this is. Well, now we're going to get into the chicken or egg syndrome. Yeah. So I believe that the governments and leadership are largely a reflection of the population that they serve. So when you talk about individual responsibility, I'm not suggesting that it's a thousand percent up to us, but we are the base. To expect our leaders to provide us with something beyond what we are either asking them directly or implicitly, generally they will go with the consensus because even if their only reason for being there is to win the next election, mm -hmm, sure. they won't do it if they don't serve the popular end for the most part. Yeah. Right? If enough of us stand for something, they have to listen. Oh, well, sure. So in terms of personal responsibility... What I'm suggesting is, if you want, again, it's very cliche, but be the change you want to see. Yeah. If you are going to be a yes person to everything that's thrown to you, they'll just keep throwing it at you. Mm -hmm. At some point, you have to take a position, say, well, what about this or what about that? It's okay to question. It's okay to ask a question. A good leader, if you're in a boardroom meeting or whatever, in, in an office management situation, a good leader, in my opinion, does not dismiss you or discount you. He responds to his or her question yeah. to some level of satisfaction. Right. You're not avoiding me or calling me an idiot. Right. A good leader will also recognize when their team is divided. Yes. Where there's conflict within the population that they're leading. It is clear that populations all around the world have started to divide into two major camps. The for and against, if you like. The dissenters and the conformers. Polarized. Okay. And governments know that this is happening. Big tech knows that this is happening. Where is there a leader who is saying, I'm hearing both sides of your stories, folks. I understand your concerns, you antis. I understand your concerns, you pros. And how can we bridge this gap? Because... One of the repercussions of COVID is not just the illness or potential death, it's how society works, how people relate to each other. No leader that I'm aware of has actually addressed this issue, which is becoming more critical every day as people get more firm in their positions, yes. more extreme in their positions, and people hit the streets, and it becomes like a civil war psychically, right? Mm -hmm. So where are the leaders who are seeing that happen and are addressing it in any way? I don't see it. 
No, I don't either. And, and you made a point, which is even myself, I had a much more neutral position to this whole situation a year ago. Yeah. The reason why I've changed a little bit, it's not even whether I agree or not. It's because I'm against any kind of situation that does not allow for both sides to be heard. Right. It's about cutting it off. As you stated early on in this podcast, we're treated like children instead of adults. And maybe that says something about our society too. We look at other countries, for example, the Scandinavian countries or New Zealand, which is often referred to. Mm -hmm. We don't see that same kind of governance. Well, especially Sweden, that has been held up as either the bad boy right. or, in some cases, the good boy from another perspective, because they trusted their population to follow recommended restrictions rather mm -hmm. than mandating them and fining people and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, the population did do that. And look where Sweden is now. Yeah. Early on, oh, Sweden's made a terrible mistake and blah, blah, blah. How come all of a sudden, now that they're 30th on the list instead of fifth, right? why aren't right. you discussing it now? Yeah. Why yeah. aren't you saying perhaps Mm -hmm. There was some validity to what they did because the numbers are suggesting such and such. Right. Why aren't you including that as well? Right. Mm -hmm. Trust that I have the intelligence to still maybe decide that it wasn't a very good idea, but don't keep the information from me yeah. and keep contouring or sculpting whatever you have in order to shape me in a certain direction. It's the same thing with vaccines. Now, with vaccines, for example, when they were limiting it to adults, whether I agree or not was not the issue for me because ultimately it comes down to the right to make the choice. Sure. Now it's gone to, we can't seem to reach where we want to reach this way. We need to now go to the healthy, the younger. Yeah. Now I'm not in a position to unequivocally say that that may be a good thing or not. I just find it very drastic, Sure. very quick. And again, without lengthy and serious consultation. You're now going to take healthy people and you're going to promote the vaccine, which, as I said, might be the right move. I don't know for sure. It just bothers me the way that it's done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If it's so great, why aren't people jumping on board? There's some resistance. Well, yeah, 5% resistance, I can understand. But when you have 25, 30, 35% resistance, maybe you need to take heed. Sure. And discuss it seriously and not immediately call somebody a wacko or an idiot because yeah. they have a particular point of view. Well, it seems to me that a lot of the way this thing has played out over the last 14 months has been actually big pharma, big tech. They have taken the lead and politicians and medical professionals have followed their lead. So governments get wind that Pfizer or Moderna or whoever right. are now in trials of the vaccine for young people between 12 and 15. Mm -hmm. That information comes to them from the big tech companies, right? Which kind of feeds this stuff to the government and the government is going, oh yeah, maybe we need to consider bringing that in because it's becoming available. It will be available, yes. right? 
Yes. But rather than having a discussion about it, having an open forum, if you like, with the population, having plebiscites or even referendums, because these things are big, critical changes to how we live our lives. Not just now, no, but going the, forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. These things cannot be just thrown into the mix in the middle of an emergency where fear is everywhere and panic is everywhere. There has to be calm, thoughtful, open-minded discussion and decision-making going on. I don't see it. Another example. Early on, Dr. Fauci saying, don't wear masks, folks. They don't really do anything. Uh -huh. They could be harmful. The studies, the, the information we have is just that they're not really that good, other than in hospital settings, right? right. And then suddenly that flip-flopped in the summertime of last year. And there's been a number of these flip-flop things yes. going on. And you're thinking, well, who's leading here? Who's in charge? Who is in charge? So let's trust again. Why would I trust someone who says, firmly speaking, for example, Fauci, again, back in April of last year, said asymptomatic transmission, that's a fiction. It doesn't exist. It's never existed in the history of medical or understanding of medicine. Right. It was so definitive. And then a few weeks later, the WHO, the World Health Organization, changes its tune. Mm -hmm. And suddenly Fauci is saying asymptomatic transmission is a big problem, folks. We have to lock down healthy people. Without saying, here are the particular studies yeah. that definitively show this to be true. You can look it up, folks. This is what we're relying on and justifying our measures. Right. They didn't even do that. There's no information given to us for us to go, really? Let's have a look at that. How sound is that study, those studies? Yeah. Is that enough justification? We're not even given that. We're just told now masks are useful. We're just told that. Part of the problem that exists today is a lot of people now are getting their backs up, not even based on facts or science. This is all an emotional response. Yeah. People are feeling pressure. They're feeling forced to do things. And the ones who are responding to it and agreeing with it are now also angered at those who are resisting and vice versa. And we're starting to fight each other, which to me is going to be a much bigger problem than this, COVID ever was. Yeah, but this is what governments have fostered. They started the blame game going, didn't they? They're the ones saying, folks, most of you are following the protocols and that you're doing the right thing by your neighbors and your community. But some of you out there who just aren't following the protocols and you see these spikes in cases, you're the ones who are causing this. Right. So now suddenly in social media, if you raise your voice as an anti- the compliers will say, you see, you're the one, you're the reason why these lockdowns are continuing. It's all your fault. If you had complied, right. Right, then this would have stopped. This would have ended a lot sooner. So the blame game. And we have to be yeah. fair about this. This is happening on both sides. Sure. So we talked about qualities of a leader. A leader should unite mm -hmm. his people. Instead, right. we're being divided more and more, which is only going to lead to even a less cooperation and more force yeah and force doesn't work force does work when it sits upon a level of fear that is out in the community that is constantly encouraged and built up and ramped up if you ramp up the fear enough people's ability to think starts to diminish 
in accordance with the level of fear, right? Right. And you can have a population do anything if they're frightened enough. Right. So it seems to me from the beginning that has been the modus operandi of the leaders that we see out there. Mm -hmm. And after this is all over, it's going to be very interesting to look back on which leaders were a bit more aware. Right. Just to be clear, yeah. because I said that force is not the way to go, that it doesn't work. Long term, that will not resolve the problem. No, because it's becoming clear or clearer that we are now going to be living with this virus as we have lived with the flu year to year to year. Uh -huh. And so we cannot rely on fear and lockdowns and all of these things that were there at the beginning of the pandemic because it's a different animal now and our approach to it has to be different and leadership has to change its approach in the way that the government of the UK not that long ago came out with the notion or the statement that we are going to have to live with COVID as we do with the flu. Right. Lockdowns are over now and we're going to gradually bring back our normal life with the understanding that every year we may have to deal with it like we did with the flu. Right. Whether it's right. vaccines or what have you. Which is an acknowledgement of the negative aspects. Exactly. At this point, we don't know with 100% certainty if the action we're taking is going to terminate the situation. Right. We trust that it's going to reduce it, but we don't know how much and what it's going to take ultimately in, for example, the vaccines. People are saying we need 75% of the population. Other people saying we need 60%. Yeah. They don't really know. Now they're talking about right. booster upon booster. And then, yes, second booster, third booster, right? So these are only possibilities. They're not necessarily the way it's going to move. So a good leader will say that. We're not 100% sure, folks, that this is not a certainty game. There are uncertainties in all these areas, and we have to be flexible. We have to make decisions when we need to, and we're going to keep you informed the whole way. That's the intelligent, good leader's way of operating. But some people will say that they are doing that. Yeah, but they aren't. <laughs> you know, they aren't. They're not giving up all the... There's, in fact, there was a, an article in one of the papers one of the mainstream papers, they've sort of did an analysis and they showed that, I don't know what the percentage was, but that the government was only releasing certain information and ideas and facts and right. holding back. They were not being totally transparent about these things. Mm -hmm. And in this kind of situation, you have to be transparent. Otherwise, it becomes an authoritarian regime. We'll just tell you what you need to know. I know this comes up time and time again, and unfortunately, sometimes when people have opinions, they're looked upon as either heartless or uncaring, or the comments are, you haven't lost someone close to you. Right. You haven't been at the hospital where I was and seeing all the death and destruction and the loss of life and so on. And it's almost like you have no feeling. You're too detached to really comment on it. Yeah. Are you aware that 200,000 people die every day on this earth? Well, the answer is what is acceptable to you in terms of the amount of death? What is the acceptable? Yep. There needs to be, I agree, okay? There's an emotional side where you say, oh, my cousin died of COVID. My grandmother is extremely sick and it's touched me personally. And so therefore, I'm the only one that can have authentic feelings and know what's right or wrong. And you don't because you're not affected. That's fine on a one-to-one -one basis to yes. be talking like that. But as a leader, 
You cannot create a public policy that spans the nation, spans sick people, healthy people, all ages, and base those policies on an emotional reaction or response to people who are dying. Whether it's your neighbor or your grandma, if you're the prime minister or the president or whoever, you can't make decisions based upon emotional impulses. Right. It has to be uh, somewhat neutral. It has to be somewhat objective. As a leader, you have to sometimes make hard decisions that aren't necessarily popular or going to be accepted. Exactly. And that's the problem we have with the current leadership. No matter what decisions they make, they will get fire sent towards them because this is a no-win situation. It is really the lesser of two evils. And with a recognition that people will die, whether we keep the restrictions going or that we lift them, people will die. The question is, how much do we accept death in our midst? How do we gain perspective on right. it and, and do the right thing for the future, not just for now? There's a part of me that also feels, and it may not have a basis in fact, I feel like we've gotten to the point now where people will stick to their guns only because the backtrack they would not be able to accept yeah. the fact that they would be looked upon as either failures or right. suffer a level of humiliation, which I think is also a weakness in leadership. It is. Because a strong leader will accept whatever is coming to them based on the decisions that they've made. Yeah, but the response, the apology if you've done something wrong, the backtracking, it has to be authentic and come from a, a real place. We saw an example of that recently where our premier here in Ontario tried to pull a fast one and give the police extra powers to stop people randomly in the street and demand their ID and their reason for being out and about during this time of stay-at-home orders. Right. right. The response was so immediate, there was such a shitstorm, pardon my language, from the general population and, almost surprisingly, from the police themselves, yes. who almost as a group said, no, we're not doing that. That's really against the Constitution. That's against our oath to follow the Constitution. And suddenly, within a day, incredible, the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, had to apologize and backtrack and say, well, I, I thought this would be a good idea, but I guess it isn't, and most people don't want it. So uh, whether that was an authentic apology, hard to say. Mm -hmm. uh, because people don't trust him much, it's hard to trust that apology too, right? So the immediate thing that came to my mind when that actually happened was, wow, we've actually reached a point in leadership where within the leadership, because you could call the premier the actual leader of the province, however, the chief of police and police services board and so on, they're also way up there in the authority scale. Yeah. You now have a disagreement in leadership. How do you expect the general public to trust a situation where the leadership itself can't come to an agreement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as soon as that starts to decay yes. and the cohesion, then we're seeing the society itself start to disintegrate in different ways and splinter off. And that's where it gets dangerous. The near future or the near far future is like there's a cloudy curtain sitting over top of the vision because it's very hard to see how these things are going to play out and crystallize and reform, reset, as right. <laughs> a, that's a potent word, how things are going to reset after this because there's no exit strategy. 
right? There's no vision for the end of it. So therefore, people can't see beyond the end of it. Like we're living in a fog. Living in a total fog, crawling through the fog, hoping we don't run into something or kill something or whatever. And we don't know when the fog's going to lift. And don't you also sense a certain level of fatigue now? Do you not see more and more people sort of giving up? Huge. They're either giving up on understanding what's going on and just want to follow the dictates and just say, shut up, wear your mask, stop it, and I'll do that, and we'll all get out of this somehow, eventually. Or people will stop fighting against what they see as injustice in the government and, and their measures, and they just sort of get too tired to go out in the streets and march every Saturday in Toronto or whatever they do. They, they got regular marches going mm -hmm. on now, right? People just get tired of the whole thing. It's hard to keep people kind of engaged and committed, whether it's to the measures or whatever, right? To keep that commitment going is so hard. And so what they do often is they say, well, it'll only be for a few more weeks, folks. We can do this. And then the few weeks goes by and they go, we're going to have to extend this, which they just did recently again in Ontario. Yeah, the June State 2nd. To June 2nd, right? And each time the goalposts keep getting pushed farther and farther. And that's where the fatigue comes in. Well, it's also kind of a classic, the boy who cried wolf situation, isn't it? Yeah. You've said this so many times. Uh, I don't believe no you longer. more when you yeah. say June 3rd, is a, we're going to see this uh, one-dose summer, or whatever this latest catchphrase is that they're pushing on us now, the one-dose summer or two-dose mm -hmm. summer. These things are all designed. See, the problem is that leaders have now put out their communication staff, which they all have, are crafting their communications almost in the form of memes, to create memes so that people will remember and follow, comply or die, <laughs> or one-dose summer. These kinds of things to give you hope, to give you some sort of sense that something good is coming and relief is coming. But I recognize, as many people do, that they are crafted communications, which lowers our trust, yes. don't come across as authentic. Right, which is one of the most significant qualities that a good leader has. Exactly. Is authenticity. Yeah, and, and an authentic person can give you a realistic communication, and you will understand it and accept it more readily than somebody who's hiding stuff, not giving you all the information, crafting the communication to make you do something. It's a very different style of leadership, and we're dying for the authentic leadership that we haven't seen at this point. And after this is all over, we're going to get to assess how leaders have done, and it'll be a very interesting exercise, just as we have done today. Even for a superb leader, these are extremely challenging times, because we needed the leader before the society was divided. Yeah. You're bringing a person into the picture now. Mm -hmm. He's dealing with an almost insurmountable situation. Well, sure, like Joe Biden. He stepped into the presidency with half the population, the voting population, against him, essentially, and against everything he stands for. So he stepped into a divided America, and I don't really see that America is less divided at this point in his presidency. Hard to say how that will move, right? Yes. Uh, and if Trump comes back in four years and runs again, you'll see the divisions go even deeper. So it's a really tough situation down there, psychically, let's say, because of the divisions. And it's reflected here in Canada, too. Yes. It's a bit milder in its extremity, but it's there. And it's increasing now because of COVID and, yes. and, and the measures taken by governments. This divide is happening. So we need leaders who will heal the divide. Step forward, people. Heal the divide. Yes. 
Yes. There you go. That's my last word on leadership. And do you have a last word on leadership or should we say ciao? The reason we brought this topic up and the reason why we wanted to talk about this today is really to help with us trying to get along better as people and try to understand the difficulties that are currently in our midst, that everyone is being challenged here, us as individuals, our leadership, our institutions, and why it's so important to keep an open mind and sure, agree or disagree. Don't name call, don't call people idiots or wackos. And if you think an idea is so far beyond you, mm -hmm. the person on the opposite side may be thinking the same thing. Right. So it's really, really important now for us as a people to try to find some middle ground, find what we agree on rather than what we disagree on all the time. And act individually like a good leader should. Yes. How about that? Why expect anything of a leader that you're not prepared to do yourself? And on that note... Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.